Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. It is the first episode of the new decade, 2020, and it is a basketball-centric episode here on From the Flats. We'll have the women's basketball head coach, Nell Fortner. We get things started uh, with an extremely familiar name and face across uh, Georgia Tech basketball circles. That'd be one member of Lethal Weapon 3, Brian Oliver, as the 1990 team will have their reunion uh, this Saturday. We wanted to catch up with Brian, see what he's up to, reminisce on some of the finest moments in Tech Hoops history, and uh, get his thoughts on what's going on today. Now, 30 years later, uh, after that magical Final Four run in the March of 1990. But first things first, Brian, thanks for taking the time. And uh, how are things going with you? Hey, thanks for having me. And everything is busy as usual. Uh, uh, great time of year. And, you know, beginning of January is always fun if you're a basketball hoops fanatic. You know, I am a Georgia Georgia Tech diehard fan, but I'm also an ACC basketball fan. So uh, it's been some really interesting basketball being played. For those that don't know, and I'm sure many are aware, Brian is uh, currently a color analyst uh, for some ACC men's basketball throughout the year. So, Brian, you will not be uh, in Atlanta on Saturday. What what game have they got you slotted on? So I'll be back up in Blacksburg uh, covering Syracuse at Virginia Tech. I was there last weekend uh, for the game for NC State uh, at Virginia Tech. And it's unfortunate because it's not always an opportunity for me to kind of reminisce and catch up with a lot of my ex-teammates and a lot of the staff and see my man Bobby Cremens. But unfortunately, <laughs> um, I won't be there this weekend. But um, the timing is off because I'm actually doing next weekend's game with NC State at Georgia Tech. Oh, so if they yes. could have pushed it off a week, uh, it would have worked a lot better. But it is what it is. No, it's okay. Well, you know, in some ways, you know, the game you're on this weekend is a reminder of how much things have changed back when you were playing Syracuse and Virginia Tech. Uh, neither of those were ACC teams. So, you know, with that in mind, let's let's go back to 1990. In that era of Tech men's basketball, there were so many high points, whether it be the ACC championship uh, in 1990, getting revenge on Virginia and Duke for uh, regular season losses, yourself being named the ACC tournament MVP. Then you go on the run in the, in the NCAA tournament, you know, taking down LSU and Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, defeating Michigan State uh, in dramatic fashion uh, to force that game to overtime, edging Minnesota uh, to get the school's first trips to the Final Four. I'm curious, as you reflect upon that, and, and maybe not even that month, but I'm curious, what is the defining moment in your mind uh, for, for your era of Georgia Tech basketball? Well, I, I think that, you know, obviously with Bobby and the talent that he was able to recruit, and, you know, one of the things that stuck out for me during my time at Georgia Tech was uh, the amazing chemistry that we had um, even before that magical 1990 season. Um, but going back to that, I thought it, go, it went back to the summer where Kenny Anderson had come in, where a lot of people knew about all the accolades that he came in with being one of the, probably a prodigy and one of the best high school players of all time. Uh, us being able to establish uh, a chemistry between Kenny, Dennis, and myself. Uh, and then, you know, you have guys like, uh, Carl Brown, uh, Malcolm Mackey, and Johnny McNeil. Uh, we didn't play a ton of guys, but I think that what was important was that we had guys that were redshirting and Avonal Newbill and Matt Geiger that made our practices extremely competitive. Um, the league back then was really competitive because you did have Duke that was really good. Uh, Carolina was 
not as strong as they have traditionally been. I remember Virginia being good and and at that time, Clemson being really good because they had both uh, Eldon Campbell and Dale Davis. Uh, you mm-hmm. had Rodney Monroe and Chris Corciani at North Carolina State. Um, and it was just a, a great year of basketball. And again, we we hit our stride at the right time going into the ACC tournament. Take me to that summer of 89. When Kenny showed up on campus, did you believe the hype? And, and if you didn't, at what point did you say, wow, this guy's for real? Well, so back then, and I'm dating my, myself for some of the younger fans, is that we didn't have <laughs> uh, social media and YouTube where you could pick up and, and see uh, <laughs> clips of people. I mean, and I'd heard a lot about him. And so when we were playing in the summertime, uh, we used to play in what was the hot box. It's the freshman gym now that obviously has air conditioning and has been renovated. But back then, um, a lot of the professional players from Atlanta Hawks and any NBA guys that lived in the city of Atlanta would come down to Georgia Tech and we used to have the best runs in the city. So um, what would happen at the time, I think Doc Rivers um, was playing, he was with the Hawks, and you had a lot, I think maybe Ron Harper and some other guys, and we decided that we were going to try to play, play together. And I think it, it dawned on us that we had something special when Dennis, Kenny, and I were on the same team playing against a lot of NBA guys and other you know, players who had come out of college, and we were able to not only hold our own but dominate a lot of those runs. Um, and then seeing Kenny and how, how he handled the ball, his court vision, uh, scoring ability, uh, it, was, it was amazing because I had just come off of my junior year and where I played with Tom Hammonds and I had – probably statistically a better year overall because I played the point. I think I may have averaged maybe 16 to 17 points a game, maybe eight assists a game. And going into my senior year, I was excited because Bobby had promised me, hey, you did great at the point, but I'm going to give you a chance to kind of go out and score some points because we've got this magnificent point guard in Kenny Anderson. And, and believe me, when he came, he was better than advertised. Well, let me assure you of two things. One, uh, the hot box, the freshman gym, is still the who's who of basketball uh, whenever NBA teams or anyone else, whether it be entertainment stars or whatever, if anybody likes to hoop, uh, the freshman gym is still very much a who's who. And secondly, if they've put any air conditioning in there, Brian, I, I promise you it, 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 it's not working very well. It is, it is still the hot box. And honestly, I think part of that is you, you want to keep the reputation up and I think guys like working out in there because you can get a, you can break a good sweat. Um, so let me all right, well, let me jump to Lisa in my mind. What is one of the defining moments uh, of not only your era but really of the Bobby Crimmins era, uh, which is that 1990 game against Michigan State. Uh, many fans who listen to this podcast know the story already, but for those that don't, down by four, 13 seconds left, Sweet 16, Georgia Tech able to come back, cut it to two, then a missed free throw, about five seconds left. Kenny dribbles the ball off the court. And uh, there may have been four or five seconds left. He took about maybe six seconds to shoot it, but gets the shot off. It's called good. And, and the anecdote that I saw, uh, and I want you to tell me this is true or not, is that originally it was called a three. Then the referees came back and said, it's actually just a two. We're going to overtime. And according to Coach Crimmins, he said, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. We'll go to overtime. He didn't even even fight it or contest it or anything. Is that is that true to your knowledge? Yeah, and, and I do, because I think we were all so excited that he hit the shot. Um, and it gave us an opportunity to extend the game. But then, like you say, they came back and they awarded it. 
the the funny thing about it is Steve Smith and I are, are amazing friends. And, you know, we're old guys that still play basketball to this day. And every now and then, you know, he will remind me that uh, the basket should not have counted. It was only a two. So it goes back and forth. And any Michigan State fan, uh, I know Kevin Willis. Uh, and so when you talk to these guys, they always go back to that shot at that time. That's a, again, that's a great story. And I just, it, it strikes me as, as uniquely uh, the essence of Bobby Crimmins, you know, not letting anything bother him. Oh, it's called two? Sure, we'll play five more minutes. Whatever, we don't care. Kenny Anderson from New York, Dennis Scott from Maryland. You're from Smyrna, won a, won, won a state title at Wills High School in 86. Did it mean anything more to you to, to have that type of success in your hometown? Absolutely. Um, being a local guy, uh, my decision to go to Georgia Tech uh, had a lot to do with wanting to stay home, playing in front of my family. Um, I was a McDonald's All-American, for those that didn't know, and could have gone anywhere in the country. Um, and being able to play at Georgia Tech and carry on the tradition of, you know, the Mark Price, John Sally, and Bruce Dyer up era, who I really think were the, the original Lethal Weapon 3, uh, it meant a lot to me because I had won a state championship uh, actually down in the Thriller Dome. Um, and then to be able to be part of a program and go and do what we were able to do um, forever cemented us in, in basketball lore at Georgia Tech. It's, it's amazing that even after 30 years that there are still a lot of avid basketball fans, I will see that will say, hey, man, you don't remember how um, how I remember how great you guys were, and I get people who say, "Hey, I was a little kid, and I remember watching you guys and watching you on TV." And have people still remember that Final Four team and hold us in such high regard? You know, it's a blessing and it's an honor. And it's got to be fascinating. I know you mentioned, you know, saying guys, "Oh, I grew up watching you." Well, now you've got a daughter of your own beginning her basketball career. Can you tell me a little bit more about Hayden and how she's coming along? I know she's a big. Uh, Georgia Tech, uh, both men's and women's basketball fan. So you, for those who know my daughter, she, she bleeds Georgia Tech, and she understands that to this day she is not allowed to wear any combination of red and black ever. Uh, <laughs> and she holds my wife to that. Um, uh, most athletes push their children into the sport. Uh, I was very careful in not trying to push her into basketball. And she started out playing track, running track as a means of getting, you know, uh, exercise and Last year, picked up the game and wanted to to really get into it. And to be honest with you, she's put in the work. And uh, she's a fourth grader playing on the Campbell uh, sixth grade team. The cool thing about it is uh, Campbell High School is actually uh, where Will's High School is now. And for her to walk into the gym for practice and see my jersey that's been retired, that's hanging up there, uh, and tell me, hey, Daddy, someday I'm going to have my, jer my jersey right next to yours. Uh, is, a, is a father's dream. Uh, she enjoys the game. Uh, she has fun with it. Um, she's already told herself that when she goes, when she goes to college, she's going to Georgia Tech. Uh, so for <laughs> me and what I've been able to do with basketball and still stay connected to the game, to have her at such a young age have a thirst and a love for the game, it's amazing for me because she truly puts in the hard work for Anyone that follows me on Twitter knows that the majority of my tweets are probably based around Hayden and me being the proud father that I am. So it's it's amazing for me to be able to kind of pass the torch on to my daughter, so to speak. Yeah, well, as, as they should be. Again, uh, congratulations, uh, Brian, on 
on Hayden uh, taking over uh, your legacy, loving the game, and uh, excited to see uh, how good she can be in the coming years. And I'm sure you'll be excited to watch her as well. Uh, again, Brian Oliver joining us, uh, ACC legend, Georgia Tech Hall of Famer, 1990 ACC Tournament MVP, All-American. There, there's an accolade, folks. He's got it. Uh, but, Brian, thanks for the time. And I know we won't see you this Saturday, but I do look forward to uh, getting a chance to see you about a week and a half from now uh, when Georgia Tech and NC State toss it up uh, Saturday afternoon, the 25th. Thanks for having me. And to all the fans, enjoy the game. Again, sorry that I can't be there, but I'm always there in spirit. The Georgia Tech women's basketball team continues to roll 4-1 in the ACC, 13-3 overall, and they've won two in a row. We're joined by head coach Nell Fortner, fresh off the win over the Clemson Tigers, 49-47. Defense uh, has been your calling card, and it was a, a defensive battle. But the first question I want to ask you is, what was your thought process as Jasmine Carson took that go-ahead three as it was bouncing off the rim, off the backboard, off the rim again? What was yeah. going through your mind? I was just really, really happy it went in, you know, because it, it almost felt like, you know, when when it went through the net, you felt this kind of collective, oh, God, you know, like, okay, we hit one, you know. It had been a while since we scored. I mean, we would just struggled on the offensive end that day. But, um, yeah, really happy to see that ball go in. But really, um, I was really pleased with our defensive effort. I thought we just, man, we were tough. You know, Francesca Pond with her charges, her and her and Kubai do such a great job of getting in position to draw charges. And that was instrumental in the win. I think there were like eight, seven or eight total charges. It, I mean, since when's the last time you saw that? I, I don't know if I've ever mm -hmm. seen it that many in a game. So. I was really, really proud of the team defensive effort with that group. We spoke before the game about how when it comes to Francesca Pond, who, by the way, did enter the top 10 all time in scoring on Sunday. Nice. But about how she's doing different things other than scoring to help you win. I mean, she's averaging a career high in rebounds here in her senior season. Same with assists. And like you said, drawing charges. How important is it for not only to do those things, but to see the team success when she does? Yeah, I'm really proud of her because she, you know, she was struggling – early offensively and she was putting way too much pressure on herself to to have to score have to score we've got other scorers on the team just you are such a talented all-around player do the other things and let that scoring it's going to come back to you it will present itself to you and and uh, I'm just really proud of her for being coachable and listening and then stepping up to the plate and doing those other things. Those are all those kind of, those are effort, hard work, got gutsy, gutted out, you know. Not everybody wants to step up and take charges. Look, what she did against Clemson, I'm telling you, I've never seen that many taken before. Gutsy play, gutsy by Pond. Well, you touched on it. You've got other scores. Five different players averaging nine and a half points or more per game, led by Jasmine Carson. And yeah. if you haven't taken notice of what Jazz is doing uh, or of what Georgia Tech women's basketball is doing, you might be the only one because even Samuel Jackson uh, <laughs> has taken notice of it, a family friend of Jasmine Carson. What can you say about her efforts since you put her in the starting lineup last week and since she started, you've got a win over Clemson and then a road win over number 11 Florida yeah. State? You know, Jasmine, we knew early on that Jasmine um, was a talented offensive player. you got to play both ends of the floor here. And, and that's where she had to, to learn how to really give that effort on the defensive end. And credit to Jazz, she's done it. She's, she's worked hard. She's studied it. She's, um, 
you know, she's starting to understand it better now. And look, she's a really good athlete. She's got the speed and quickness to defend any perimeter player. Um, she just has to learn the nuances of how to be that defender. And she is starting to, to get that. Um, she still has a, a ways to go, but um, you know, she's making progress. And that's, that's what we need. We just need you making progress so we can get you to where you need to be. I want to go big picture with you with this whole season and no more individuals, just the team as a whole. It seems like through the first half of the year, you guys have had several character revealing moments, whether it be in the second half against Georgia, fourth quarter come from behind winning against Miami or strike from the jump uh, in Tallahassee against Florida State. I'm curious, how rare is it as someone who's been in the profession and covered the game for uh, a long, long time to see those type of moments with regularity and what does it do for the ceiling of a team going down towards postseason? You know, it's it's been a um, – this has been a process, and for us it's still a process. New staff, new way of doing things, new culture, new uh, – so we're still heading down the road to be who we want to be. It's going to – we're, we're just not – we're not there yet, but I think we're in a, in a good place to get to where we want to be this year. Hopefully. You know, we yeah. might not get yeah. there. It might mm-hmm. be – you know, who knows? Um but you know, it's while let's just be honest. A, a team is a it can be very fragile. I mean, it, it is. Uh, what kind of day did these mm-hmm. kids have? Um, mm-hmm. Did they pass a test or flunk a test? <laughs> did their boyfriend break up with them mm-hmm. or not? Did there? You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in their life. So it's it can be a very fragile um, community, mm-hmm. and we just really hopefully have built you know, have the legs of a strong community, Mm -hmm. uh, the legs of a a strong culture where they can rely on each other and trust each other. That's the road we're heading down. If that results in more wins, great. If it doesn't result in wins, as long as we're staying down that road, eventually it will. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, it's it's a process. And, and you know, we feel good about where we are in the process. Um, Doesn't mean that there aren't struggles coming our way, but hopefully we're strong enough and bound tight enough to, to withstand them and, and, uh, and still move forward. And, well, if nothing else, the first few steps uh, out of the nest, if yeah. you will, have been very successful. So congratulations on that. As we look ahead, you've got uh, sort of the Northeastern uh, week coming up, a trip to Syracuse Thursday night, taking on a team that beat Florida State in dramatic fashion, yeah. one of just two teams to beat Florida State, you guys being the other. And then on Sunday afternoon, hosting Boston College uh, in McCamish Pavilion, where you're 8-0, uh, what can Tech fans see this week? And, and got to get out there on Sunday, right? Yeah, you know, interesting, the game at Syracuse, because you're playing in the Carrier Dome. That's um, that's a big space. Mm-hmm. So shooting becomes a premium, yeah. <laughs> you know, being able to knock down shots. Uh, also, there are two conference games there, but last two conference games, overtime games. Yeah. You know, so really they're playing, they're, they're playing tough and well at home. Um, and then Boston College on Sunday, they go to Notre Dame and beat Notre Dame. And I mean, there it's every every team is tough. It's a everybody can beat everybody in this league. So, but I think for, you know when you look ahead to Sunday, the first thing I think about is is being at home. And then man, let's just get our fans out mm-hmm. here, let them enjoy because while our fans have been great, yes, they have been loud, energy. They have they have come to the party when we needed them the most. I'm honestly, (laughs) I mean, they're in the Miami game. 
their voice, their energy, it, it helped us. The Clemson game, I mean, they were loud. It helped us. And that's what you want from your from your fans. When you get home court, you want the advantage. And they, it's the fans that help push you over the edge and give you that advantage. So let's get some more of that Sounds on Sunday. Sounds good to me. 8-0 <laughs> no on campus this year, Georgia Tech women's basketball coach. I, I assume that the uh, wardrobe that you took to the Bahamas and Puerto Rico will not be the one you bring to Syracuse. <laughs> no. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to pack because it's cold like 10 degrees up there. I don't know. I, I just, wow. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I've got something warm enough to withstand that. Yeah, just make sure you got room in your suitcase to bring a wind back, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right, well, that's Coach Fortner. Again, Coach, thanks for your time. Best of luck Thursday night. Men's basketball uh, at home on Saturday against Virginia. The women at home on Sunday against Boston College. Hope all tech fans can come out. That'll do it for this week's From the Flats. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast. Be sure to tune in to the Georgia Tech Sports Network on game days for live coverage. And subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.